Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show. And I, I know all of you want to know about the Duke and Pittsburgh recap. So we're going to give it to you right now because I think that's the only Duke football news there, there is this week, Connor. Uh, Duke beat Pittsburgh to be 7-5. and five, And after that game, Connor, Verizon shut off my phone. So I haven't paid the bills backed up. So I haven't called up on any news this week. So... Elko and Duke will be playing in a bowl this season, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that much was true before the Pitt game. So you, you were apprised of that pretty well. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, we wind up now where both teams I cover, uh, it's more important to talk about what their coaches have said in the last three weeks than what is actually anything that's happened on the field. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember what we said in the last episode. It was so long ago. Um, it was almost two weeks ago and feels like about a month ago with everything that's transpired since yeah. then. Um, you know, I, I think where you have to start is uh, I don't think it was in the cards for Mike Elko to go to Texas A&M until Mark Stoops told Texas A&M he wasn't coming. Texas A&M had a yes from Kentucky coach Mark Stoops that turned into a no within two or three, two to three hours. I, I don't know what transpired to happen. I, like, I don't know if Kentucky came and gave him a shitload more money. I don't know if he saw the fan reaction uh, from Texas A&M and decided, well, that's an unwinnable situation and an unwinnable press conference. There's no way I'm going there. I don't know if Texas A&M saw the fan reaction and uh, I might get in hot water of this, but uh, maybe Ross Bjork got John Curry and got cyber bullied out of making coaching hire. Um, I mean, Greg Schiano, we saw this happen at Tennessee. Greg Schiano was announced Tennessee head coach and the, there was such much, so, so much backlash behind that to where it's like, never mind. It was just a prank. It's just a prank. Clay, Clay, Tra Clay Travis launched the internet mob and John Curry was texting uh, Dan Wolken to see if he could spin it in his favor, if I've got that correct. So, look, it's college football. It's dramatic. It's, it's needlessly dramatic at times. It's never dull. So, look, when, when Mike Elko is – talking after the pit game i've seen some people want to make it all out about well it's like he was saying goodbye in that press conference you know look you can call me naive you can say that i was too close to mike um i just i don't i don't have that sense i did not have that sense um you know I, I'll, I'll put this out there now i've i've met with mike elko every thursday morning during the season for off record talk talks like 15 to 20 minutes uh after their practices i think i i like to think that i know mike a little better than some a lot of the rest of the duke beat um not the entire rest but a lot of the rest and i'm, I'm telling you i really think that it was not going to happen until mark stoops told them no and i put this on the on the message board on um you know late morning sunday that I still thought he wasn't going to Texas A&M, but I was a little more weary because Texas A&M having a yes turn into a no meant that they were going to be desperate. And so you have this 
juggernaut of a of a football program, at least their perception of their program is that it's a juggernaut in the in the landscape of college football. And they've just been made to look a little foolish, like they've got egg on their face. They're either going to go out and grab, you know, some splashy Ryan Day who can't beat Michigan or Dabo who's spent 15 years at Clemson and it might be sour for him. Or they're going to do what they did and they're going to get somebody that they know they can outbid anyone else for, uh, at least who's in the market, and, and outbid their current employer and get somebody they're familiar with. Lo and behold. I mean that that's that's the way I see it. Um, I don't I don't know that I'm correct. Like short of getting a phone call from Mike Elko and talking it out with him, which I don't think is coming. I don't know that I'm ever going to know if that's correct, but that's the way it feels to me, and that's what I'm going to go with. in, in some writing, uh, I'll have a column either either Monday night or Tuesday morning. I don't know what my where my headspace is for writing right now. And I've got to write basketball previews. It is basketball season. Of course. But to go off of that real quick, Connor, you talked about like Clay Travis had the Twitter mob against Tennessee. I can honestly point the blame to the SEC media for this backlash for Mark Stoops. And I say that because Josh Pate, who's very like is great at what he does for 24-7, has a great, huge following. He came out with the idea that a&M was such an attractive job that I was going to lure away head coaches at other programs. And he was right. It was Mark Stoops. But when you say that and you play with fire, they're like DeBoer from Washington. Like I was on the AM message boards every day just to get intel, like what they think is going to happen. So then you have DeBoer from Washington, who's in the college football playoff right outside of it. You have Ryan Day now at Ohio State. And then there was – Somebody else that was like a high market guy, uh, I think it was Dan Lanning initially, and then he immediately shut it down. But I want to say there was one more in there. So you give them this some sort of expectation as a head coach that, hey, he's just soft the wall. Like Lane Kiffin, hey, he could calm his personality. He's maxed out his potential at Ole Miss. Throwing down these names, message board is going to run with it. And then you're like, oh, it's Mark Stoops. And you're just like, What? If if you didn't give them that glimmer of hope, I don't think it's that big of a backlash because Mark Stoops is a hell of a coach, and he's probably reached the pinnacle of Kentucky football. And that's come from a Duke football fan. But when you're in the SEC and you're a basketball school, your your ceiling really is eight wins. And Mark Stoops has won nine and ten games, I think, once or twice. But he's a really good football coach and arguably the same exact – a very similar coach as Elko is at Duke. It's just Elko has the background at A&M. And so he has the connection with the boosters. I know reading the AM boards, the boosters have always loved Elko from his time at Texas AM. So that's, and when you're at a big program like that, they run the athletic department. Like the AD makes the hire, but the boosters are in your ear to, hey, this is the guy. And the whole Mark Stoops thing was botched for multiple reasons. And then the boosters like, go get Elko. And to your point, like it, it felt weird because I went to the game Saturday. Right. I went to the game and to go further more after the game, uh, Elko's whole family was at the press conference. And that was kind of odd that I heard that his whole family was there. And but what I was going to bring up was, Connor, the uh, game going to Pittsburgh or the intro. So Duke does a really cool thing where they put the camera from behind the scenes, like the guys walking out of the, the locker room, going down the tunnel. And Elko always leads the team. And when Elko came down, 
he looked like he was about to throw up, cry. Like he looked emotional because Brian Kennedy of Sex 17 pod, we all I sat with Sex 17 guys. He was like, wow, Mike looks sick. Like he's gonna throw up. And I was like, Yeah, something's weird. And I was like, maybe he's just nervous. But then all this transpired, and we don't know if talks happened before the game, whatever. Don't know. But it almost felt like looking back that he knew that was his last time going down the tunnel and he was taking it in from a fan perspective. And that could be a complete reach. But if you saw if you're at the Duke game and you saw that, you would you know what I'm talking about. But now all this happened, and Duke had that meeting yesterday. It was like a 3 p.m. meeting, 4 p.m. meeting. Elko met with the team. And from what I've gathered, he said it was 50-50, but he was leaning towards staying is what I've gathered. And then for what happened next is the guys basically are, all right, like he has 24 hours. He's going to be 24-hour ordeal. Pete Thamel even tweeted it. Guys go to sleep. They wake up and their head coaches in Texas A&M College Station. They're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. There's no defendable position. Like I, I'll right. I'll go to bat for Mike on some things. Uh, I will not go to bat at all on the way he left. Um, the players' coach thing. He is like his players do love him, and that is a fact. Like his A and M players loved him. The Wake players loved him. Duke players loved him. But the way that you do that as a head coach to go in the middle of the night, you have your press conference. Push your. You're the guy now at A and M. You agree to it move it back a couple hours, and then see your boys at 10 a.m. in Durham and then take the private jet to A&M afterwards. Like, that's it. That's all you got to do. I don't know why you have to do it in the middle of the night. And it was like the Baltimore Colts. I mean, it really was. Like, you go to sleep, and all of a sudden, the head man's not there and the team's not there. It's like, what the hell? And that's that's the what the, the fan base is most frustrated about. And I'll get into that end this episode but for a guy that was i mean like you said you've had conversations with him every thursday off the record like he was a straight shooter the whole like from day one in his opening press conference to the day before he left the guy was a straight shooter and for him not to be a straight shooter at the end is a sour taste because it's like he's it's just frustrating yeah, I mean, it makes you question how much of a straight shooter he actually was. It makes you wonder uh, what he was just saying to placate you. It makes you kind of question a lot of things uh, about how you read people, about how he reads people, about your trust level and how you had so wrong. Like, yeah, there's there's plenty of hurt. And, you know, it's like I, I just covered the guy. Uh, I wasn't coached by him. So I can't imagine how players feel. I can't imagine how his staff feels. Um, the harsh reality of this is like some of those coaches are probably good enough to go to AM. and uh, Some of them have already been there, obviously. Some of them are not. And some of them are either going to be at Duke next year with the new coach or they're going to be looking for jobs elsewhere. I mean, we, we just saw it two years ago. Like That's one of the things that I want to remind Duke fans when they're all freaking out about how the roster is going to get pillaged and how they're going to lose every single recruit and all that. It's like, well, none of that happened two years ago. And I understand it's, it's a college football two years ago is not what college football is now. NIL was five to six months old two years ago, and it was still a relatively new thing. 
now it's fully fledged and everybody has their own collective that every coach, whether they win their last game or lose their last game, they go to their press conference and say, if they, if they won, they say, if you want us to keep winning, you have to give us all a bunch of money. That's what Dave Doran did. And if they lose, they go in there and say, Hey, if you want us to actually win games, you have to give us a shitload of money. Like Jim Mora did. Uh, and I believe UConn is on Duke's schedule next year. So that's relevant very much. So, um, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's to your point. It's it's not a defendable position the way he left. Uh, I I get that part of it. Um, there's no good way to leave. I guess is is the one good point I would make. Like, I, I don't I don't know how much he could make this situation better by meeting with players and telling them he was leaving. I don't know if Texas A&M says, hey, you have to come back on this jet with us or we're going to look elsewhere. Um, you just, there's so much of the situation that you don't know. Um, not defending him. Like it, it was wrong the way that he left. Uh, it's fair to question his character, integrity, all that stuff. Um I don't know. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but it, it's it's a it's a complicated situation. Yeah, I mean that's normal to do. Like we're both still processing this, so we're both going to be talking out of both sides of our mouth. I'm going to be doing that. I have been doing that, and it just helps me cope. So if people are like, "Well, you said this, now you're saying that," yeah, you're probably right because right now as we're recording, I'm still just processing everything because it won't hit me until really. I don't know when it's going to hit me after the bowl game because to realize like where Duke is without him, you know what I mean? Like it's weird. And I feel robbed Connor. I feel robbed as a Duke fan because I I've tried so hard to not be that guy for Duke football because I was that guy for so long about like, what ifs I tried not to be that guy this whole season, like the fourth and 16. Losers, I was like, hey. Losers deal with hypotheticals, man. Yeah. It, yes, but it always it comes up now. Now I really have to embrace it. It's like you stop Notre Dame, you win that game, Raleigh's healthy, and then you are legitimately 11 and 1, 10 and 2. Like Louisville beats you with a healthy Leonard, with a healthy team, whatever. But I don't think Duke loses to UNC with a healthy Leonard because the time of possession would be way control, would be controlled way better. You don't f- roll over against UVA. My point being, if Duke was 10 and 2, at the end of the season, and this comes out that Elko's probably going to leave and Duke's 15th in the country at 10-2 and two because of their wins and stuff, that would suck, but you could see it coming. You're like, the dude just put Duke on the map. But for Duke to season completely derail on that end of the uh, Notre Dame game was the most iconic atmosphere in Duke football history, college game day. You're about to beat the number 11 team in the country, and for it to fall on its face, you lose your quarterback for the rest of the season – then you lose your backup quarterback, so you're down with your third string, and then other injuries, so you finish seven and five. It's a bitter taste in your mouth that that coach still left to go to the team that you thought he'd go to if Duke was ever really relevant at 10 and two, 11 and one. Instead, he leaves year two at seven and five. That's what sucks because I never saw we talk about the promises. He said he came to Duke to win championships. Well, he was on pace to do that with one down to go in the Notre Dame game because Duke was really about to be on the map, like really about to be on the map they beat Notre Dame. Instead, whole season just gets wiped because your best player gets injured and 
I that's where I just feel empty that I'll never see I'll never see the full vision that Elko had because we were robbed of it because of injury. So your full vision, like, did that have to occur under Mike Elko? Well, his like the vision that Elko said when in his opening press conference being a Duke football head coach, he said he came to win championships and win right now. And it what I really do think it would have come to fruition if Riley doesn't get injured. I think really Duke would be 10 and 2 because you're beating Florida State at Florida State with the banged up Leonard. I'm not saying that's a win, but I'm not saying it's a loss either. I still think Duke goes nine and three, ten and two, and that's back to back nine win seasons at the very least. At the very least. And if he leaves after that, it's like, hey, you really did your thing at Duke. But instead of seven and five, um, there's more meat on the bone for year three. I want to really see what this Duke team's going to do. Instead, I'm left wondering. And not only that, with the portal era, this shit could blow up. Like regarding, like we'll get into like candidates for Duke and stuff, but hypothetically, Riley's gone. Adios, he's transferring. Which might have been happening without correct anything of this weekend. Right, right. No, 100%. But my point being, now you're losing Elko. Feely's already gone with him to A&M. You're, I'm assuming half the staff at least is going to leave with him. That's what normally happens when a coach leaves. So you don't know who's being retained at Duke. Roster's depleted. Anise Peebles is already in the portal who – is a big piece for Duke's defense and was going to be a big piece for Duke coming back. And people said Elko was staying, he was coming back to Duke and Elko's gone. So he entered the portal. I don't think he will be back at Duke. I know going to the portal doesn't necessarily mean you're out. You're just weighing your options, but when it's a new coach coming in your fifth year, you might as well just go somewhere else. And I don't blame him for it. But point being is like, we should no, know what roster is. He's, on an NFL, he's an NFL draft pick. Uh, oh, sure. 17 or 18 months if he plays somewhere else the level that he played this year. Mm -hmm. But that's um, my point is just like that. I feel robbed and I feel like there's a lot of meat left on the bone and we'll never be able to finish it under Elko because he's gone. And so is that quote unquote Elko era that I used to tweet all the time. And now I can't anymore, Connor, unless can, I'm doing it in a sarcastic can, way. Yeah, you can still tweet it in a sarcastic and you know I probably will. Like if they lose week one, I am definitely tweeting it. Because I just I saw somebody. I just saw somebody say who they have week one, but I've already forgotten it. So that leads me into the Riley thing. Riley Leonard is. It's already out there now. I've seen it in multiple places that Notre Dame is basically really poaching Riley. It's like I've seen it on Twitter now, and so I can talk about it. But them and Auburn's reached out. Notre Dame is Texas A&M's week one opponent. So if Ryan Leonard plays, if he does indeed transfer, and it is Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Elko versus Ryan Leonard. And I don't know how I feel, Connor, about Riley, if he does go to Notre Dame, playing for the team that ruined his season and derailed a really special season for Duke. You want me to put you in touch with some Wake fans and they can talk you through the uh, psychology of watching your star quarterback go play for Notre Dame? Watching the Notre Dame hype machine spin up to 100 and say that he's their greatest quarterback since Joe Montana and say that they're a national championship contender after they beat a shitty Navy team by four touchdowns or whatever it was in Ireland. You know what's going to piss me off, Connor, is the meme, the joking meme outpost of Ryan Leonard winning the Heisman when Duke would just have a win last year. 
that's going to come back and it's going to be him with Notre Dame. And I'm going to be absolutely pissed. I'm going to be so mad. So yes, I need to talk See, to your fans. I think he's going to Auburn. Um, that would be make the most sense because I mean, he's from Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, I just I think it's all I think Auburn is desperate for a quarterback. I think that you know going to Notre Dame did not help Sam Hartman's NFL stock. He they think the same things about him that they thought after he played five years at Wake Forest. Yeah. Um he's gonna go from being a late round pick if he had entered the draft last year to being a possible late round pick this year. Um Feel free to clip that and freezing old takes it if he gets picked in like the second round. Uh, but that's just the, that's that's the way it looks right now. Um, we also we, we could have another conversation about how how badly coached is Notre Dame since they can't develop their own quarterbacks. Rod Parker, and they've got a Tom they've Lee. got a pluck they've got a pluck from the ACC every year at the conference that they grift off of i was going to say you should they should be forced to join the acc there should be like an agreement it's like you're going to take quarterbacks every year you have to be an acc member if not we're banning this uh, transaction yeah. and i would love to see the acc you know it would never happen but i would love to see the acc come up with an eight game schedule for them i would want to see like you know road trip to stanford one week road trip to clemson or miami the next week uh, maybe give you a home game against Boston College. Really draw out the crowd for that one. <laughs> that would be great. Road road trip to what's what's a shitty place to play in the ACC? Uh, NC State. Well, I don't oh, you're talking you're talking about like like a hostile place, or are you talking about yeah. just like shitty attendance? I was saying Syracuse. The dome could be tricky. It's never no. They'll 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 show up in Syracuse though. Like yeah. I want to I want to put them somewhere where they're gonna have fans cussing and screaming at him. That seems like Raleigh to me. Yeah, yeah. Carter Finley for sure. Did you see yeah. this again? <laughs> <laughs> but, Connor, one thing I, I wanted – I should have touched base on earlier is, like, the Mark Stoops thing, I, I should have looked up, like, his biggest wins because he did have – he's had some a few solid wins at Kentucky. And my question now is – because now I'm on the opposite side of the coin. I was on one side of the coin pro Elko, but now you really – I'm going to go question Elko for two years because, yes, he's an A&M guy, but he was two years at Duke. So, like, what's his biggest win? Like, what moved the needle for Texas A&M to be like, this is our guy? Because I know the close loss Notre Dame. We looked good against Florida State for three quarters. But it's obviously going to be the Clemson game because they're a ninth team in the country. But this is the most losses Clemson's had since 2011. So at the end of the day, it's an eight and four Clemson team. And I'm just being pessimistic. I'm not being like rational. I'm just talking out of my ass, basically. But you look and it's like it's them. It's a depleted UCF team from the bowl game last year. Like they were a good team going in the regular season. But so many people with bowl season now, they don't play in bowls. And that's what happened to UCF. You're 0-2 against Carolina. You were there, but you didn't get over the hump. And if you don't get over the hump in AM in close games, you're gonna be like Jimbo. So it's just like, what do you, you want to solve? You want to, you want me to play devil's advocate? Yeah, yeah, please. I'm being devil's advocate on the opposite end because I've been so pro Elko for a year and a half. How many other coaches in the country would be able to beat what turned out to be a nine-win NC State team with a backup quarterback who completed four passes? 
That's that's a great that's a great counter because I don't have that answer for you. I mean, obviously, I know he's a great coach. Like, I'm just trying to be like, what about him separates him and Mark Stoops for that crowd? Because obviously, and then you beat Wake Forest on a short oh. with a third string quarterback. I don't care how bad Wake Forest has been this year, like on a down year. That's still pretty impressive to have your third string QB, true freshman, win a game. But I I care about how bad Wake Forest has been this year. Wow. <laughs> It's affected me a little bit. Do you cover them or something? Yeah, right. Um, No, where you also need to give credit is, you know, we all – it's funny how wins and losses uh, get perspective changed and and how we don't change perspective. Like, think of the way that you thought, and we probably talked about the Northwestern game in week three as just like a – this was a roll the ball out, clean up, physically dominate this Big Ten team that sucks. They're going to be awful. They might not win a game this year. They're terrible. You know, how many bad thoughts did we have about that Northwestern team? They wound up seven and five. That a was a remarkable s- job. That was a remarkable that was a seven win team that Duke just made short work of, mm-hmm. like physically worked for 60 minutes of a football game. I mean, to your point, NC State's nine and three, and that team didn't look like they're going to win another game after that. I mean, I right. said it on the podcast, I was like, this team is trending the wrong direction because I talked about like the previous year and a half under Doran and Doran doing Doran things. He's a pro at winning. He's winning pro at winning ugly, pro at beating UNC every year. And yeah, to your point, Elko is a really good coach. I just had to like go to the other side of the coin to be like, what, what about? his job at Duke, you're like, hey, you know, he is deserving of a job that he's deserving of a job to where you have to compete for national championships. That's that we saw his contract. It's very incentive based. It's seven million base, but then up to like eleven million, I think, incentive wise for college football playoff appearance to I think it it can it can be ten and a half with a national championship. I think it can get to eight with a CFP appearance and yeah. That kind of thing. It doesn't – the bonuses don't stack. Like, if he wins the CFP game and then wins the next, like, level down, he only gets the level down. He doesn't get the first win plus the next one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I see what you're saying. And one thing I thought was, first off, the contract makes sense. I think every contract should be like that. It's like, hey, like, we're – you're hired to win. And – if you're winning, you're really going to get paid for it. And they did a really good job, a and I'll give them credit to where Jimbo was all up front. It's like, you know, you've won a national championship. Here's a trophy with a blank national championship date. Go win this national championship. And he couldn't do you it. Gotta, you got to remember that they didn't give Jimbo that contract initially. Right, right. I know. It was, it was an extension that he got after, after being there for a year or two. Yeah. It was yeah, after they after, finished like fifth or whatever in the college football. But, I didn't do the re- I didn't do the research on it. I want to say part of giving him that contract was the recruiting class that he brought in. Right. Yeah. That it, Elko helped bring in. That Saban called out saying that they had the best recruiting class money could buy. And Jimbo yes. does not like Saban saying that, but Saban was more so saying that for to go to your point about Dorn and Moore talking about NIL, he was saying that for Alabama fans to pay up to NIL if they wanted the recruiting class. And that his, was his audience. Yeah. Saban's audience when he said that was, was like the, 
it was like the touchdown club of Birmingham or whatever. It was like a room full of boosters. Hey, instead of donating to the booster club, you need to give to the NIL collective, which we all thought was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Now it's like, oh, again, these yeah. coaches just come out and say it in these post games. Dave Doran asks 5,000 fans to give $1,000 a year so that they can buy players, so they can keep Casey Concepcion. Yeah, you ha- and you have to, like, people don't like it, but you can't have it both ways because now I'm seeing people that were so much pro players, like, hey, let the players do whatever. They deserve to be paid and stuff. So now the coaches are advocating to pay the players, but you have to do it through NIL. And they're like, whoa, whoa, this coach is now complaining that he he gets paid millions of dollars to maintain a roster, do all this stuff, and now we, he wants us to put even more money to try and save players. That's not what we're going to do. It's like, no, that's what you wanted. You wanted to pay the players. Now the coaches are saying, hey, pay the players if you want your team to be good. And if you turn your nose up to it, you're going to be Duke in the early 2000s. That's that's the reality of the beast. That's the nature of the beast. It's the reality. You can adapt or die. I always say that, but in college athletics – you have to adapt or you will die. There is nothing else to it. Or you can spend eight months trying to get Congress to intervene, which is always a losing battle and a waste of breath. Yeah, waste of time, waste of everything. And that's why, like recently, like I've always been retweeting the Durham Devils Club. That is, like Duke fans, like if you are serious, I'm not even just trying to like pull your leg or anything. Like even like a, I don't even know what the subscriptions are. Josh Cox does a hell of a job with it and he promotes it all the time, but I think it's like five or $20 a month. You can ask him for more information, but that, but that goes a long way. It just goes a long way. It's a start and he's doing a really good job of getting the subscribers up. But that is, if you want to keep a Riley Leonard, because if Riley is gone, this is a wake up call. Like, Hey, you can't just be like, Oh, well, we have our star quarterback coming back next year. We're going to be really good. Mm-mm. Not a team like Duke, dude. You have any guy that shows any promise? Because I hate to break the news to you, Duke fans. There's other Duke players that are really good on the team that might not be coming back either because they're getting poached with NIL money. So you, it's going to be a rude awakening when you're like, wait, why is the star wide receiver, star QB, star running backs, best defense player not dressed out for Duke? Oh, they transferred. It sucks. But that's why Nick Saban was ahead of times, the old man himself. That's why he's the GOAT. He knew right away. He's like, we need to hop on this early Alabama. And he's done a hell of a job. And he's done a hell of a job this year. 11 wins with this team after what looked like it was going to be a really down year for Alabama. But, yeah, it's just – Yeah, you're off, you're, off, you're off topic now. You really- it, it's just frustrating, man. I'm just thinking about everything that's happened and – yeah, the NIL has taken over college football and college athletics. There's and- two there's two parts of NIL it's important to note. There's one that's actually within like what NIL was founded to do, which is players appearing in commercials, like throwing a tweet out there of saying, you know, hey, Devils Illustrated has the best scoops, but they have these shitty stories. I still read them because sometimes they're entertaining and the typos are really funny to to look at. And then, you know, give them 25 bucks to send it to like, that's NIL. That's using their name image likeness to profit. The collective side of NIL is where it's just, it's like you, when you go on a rant and start mentioning Alabama and the great job that Nick Saban has done, 
That's where yeah. it's off the rails. <laughs> and that's where it's just it it is it is legalized money laundering. Oh, for and sure. that's where it's that's that's where you have coaches that talk about the wild wild west. Nobody, no coach is talking about the wild wild west and criticizing Caleb Williams for making money off being in the Heisman House commercials. You don't give a shit about that. He films them in the fucking summer. Oh, that's probably a bad word. He films them in the he films them in the summer. It's explosive. Like, it We're takes good. away I'm takes away going. nothing. It takes away nothing. The the wild wild west aspect of it is the tampering, the poaching, the nil collective offering. That's the stuff that that's where it's the wild wild west. I hate that phrase. I hate how it's become just acceptable to say, "Well, it's the wild wild west." Yeah, it, it's going to take a few years to like make make the right rules because you can't. It's gotten so out of hand that the worst thing you do is overcorrect it, and then you're back to square one on the other side of things. Like you gotta yeah. really, yeah, you're not putting that toothpaste back in the jar in the, yeah. in the tube. Tube, yeah. And I mean, you know, like I have a buddy that played Miami uh, basketball, and I know his nil. His he's got paid six figures to do a one commercial a month. <laughs> that the easiest money you could ever make, and he got six figures for one commercial a month, and. So it, it is the wild, wild west because that, I and mean, you can make six figures doing a one commercial car commercial month is insane. But I just don't know where Duke goes from here, Connor. What, who are the candidates right now? This is not even day one. This is really 12 hours we're, into. We're on day zero. Yeah, we're on day, thank you. We're on day zero. But on the hot board, like you're 1.0, who are some candidates for Duke and why do you view them as fits for Duke? So I'll go in the in the order of the story that I wrote. Uh, it was alphabetical. Uh, you start with Jason Candle. He's Toledo's coach. Uh, he is on there primarily because I think he's the best G5 coach in the country. Uh, he's 65 and 33 at Toledo in eight years, plus uh, um, interim as their bowl coach when Matt Canada left Toledo in 2015. Um you know, quite simply, like Toledo has won the MAC twice. They're playing for a third MAC championship this week. They lost on a final seconds field goal to Illinois this year in a on, in the season opener, and have rattled off eleven straight wins. Uh, the MAC, I I still think of the MAC as kind of the top G five as when it comes to coaching. Um, maybe that's a little shaded toward covering Wake Forest because that's where Jim Grobe came from. And then that's where Dave Clawson came from. Um, so Jason Candle's on there. I, there's, there's a hang up because Jason Candle has only ever coached in Ohio. Like he was at, he went to Mount union, which is the D D two or D three. I can't remember. Is it D three? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Mount union is D three. They're the powerhouse that wins the national championship, like two out of every three years. Um, he coached there after playing there. He coaches at Toledo, obviously is in Ohio. Like it seems like he is holding out for something because you know that he's had offers to leave Toledo with the record that he has and the sustained success. I don't know how realistic it is to think he's waiting for a job like Duke to come open. Um, as I do think 
Duke is a better job than it was two years ago. Duke's a better uh, job than Syracuse. Duke right now might be one of the better jobs that's open right in this current state of college football. Like, there's not yeah. there's a few. There's not many. But right now, I mean, Duke's a better job than Syracuse. Which is why to to work in a to slide in a comment here. That's that's why the timeline has to move quicker than it did two years ago. Two years ago is twelve days between mutual separation with David Cutcliffe and Mike Elko is being hired. We're not going to talk about the eleventh day and and that rumor that spun up because we will not mention that name. He is not going to be one of the five people that I talk about right now. Um, I might bring him up then. I've already used the uh, Super Troopers reference in a text message earlier of, I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says this name. And here comes Bruce Feldman with The Athletic, who drops him in to the end of his story today. So I was able to use uh, Bruce Feldman. Go ahead and say the name because the listeners are going to be wondering who it is. Go ahead and say it. Duke is not going to hire Jason Garrett. (laughs) <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Stop trying to make it happen. Or, like, or it's, I saw it's, another it's, one. We'll get back on. We'll get back on track in a second. Steve Spurrier Jr. is not a candidate just because he is Steve Spurrier's son. Stop putting him in there because he is not relevant to any situation. So there, yours is Jason Garrett. Mine's Steve Spurrier Jr. I swear to God, if I see that, he was he. I, he was at Mississippi State, and then in two years he went from Mississippi State to Tulsa. It, He's going backwards. Why would he come to Duke? It makes no sense. Go ahead. Why would why would you want the son of the coach who only when has that ever worked? Just just left. Exactly. Like, Steve Sparrier did the same thing Mike Elko just did. What guarantee is there that his son doesn't do the same thing to you? Just because his dad had great comebacks and was a great press conference guy does not mean that his son is the next prodigy. If he was, he would have been at Duke at 27, not 47. I don't know how old he is, but you get what I'm saying. Go ahead. The number two. Sorry. All right. So that's Jason Candle and some other candidates, I guess, or non-candidates. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. The second one is Kurt Signetti. Um, he is James Madison's coach. He is 19 and four in his FBS career, uh, going eight and three last year and eleven and one this year. Uh, it's not like he took over a moribund program and immediately turned them around though like he took over a program that was going to the fcs playoffs every year and was a juggernaut uh good enough to get mike houston hired at ecu he takes over that program goes 33 and 5 like makes a fcs championship game and loses i think they've got to the final four the next year and like the round before it the next year like kirk signetti wins games Mm. um he was at Elon for two years. Elon had, I believe, one playoff experience. It was when I was a junior before he came to Elon and two years at Elon, and he made the playoffs both years. Uh, to give you a frame of reference of him winning at places that aren't at, at a place that's not very easy to win traditionally. Um, like I said, he's up at JMU. He's been in the state before at a private school with some rigorous academic standards to work with. Um, he recruits there a little. Area they were a little it. less rigged in 2007 when I went there. Yeah. Um, I, what did you say? I was saying that they he also recruits regionally, like Virginia, North Carolina. So, like in terms yeah. of in-state recruiting and the surrounding, the pipeline states, he's very relevant. Or his staff. That's would. 
that's something to keep in mind about Jason Candle having all of the Ohio ties and to keep in mind about Kurt Signetti. You want somebody that's going to recruit the region. Like, I know Elko talked about recruiting nationally because Duke was going to be a national brand. It is a national brand in some sports. I, I just – It's hard to go to Texas. He would just kept recruiting in Texas so he could get the A&M. He just drive by, hey, you miss me? Hey, you miss no, me? Now you, now you sound like a jilted ex-lover. Wouldn't be the first time, Connor. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> um, the the biggest factor to I in this story that I wrote, I wrote I, I write both sides of it. I write why it makes sense and why it doesn't make sense, and why it doesn't make sense is Kirk Signetti is sixty two years old. Um, I don't mean to age discriminate, but it's a factor when you think about it. like Jason Candle's forty four for to throw that in there. And this is where I kind of land on, does Duke want to look for a David Cutcliffe who is going to be solid, going to win a lot of games, might have a little bit lower of a ceiling, but is going to stick around, uh, is not going to be looking to turn your program into a stepping stone. Um, if that's the case, then to me, that's Kirk Signetti, and it's another candidate that I'll mention in a minute. Um, it's fine to look for that. I, I personally, I don't think that should be what Duke looks for. As painful as it is right now, I think Duke needs to keep swinging for the up-and-comer that elevates the program. I think the goal needs to be get somebody that elevates your program and continue to elevate the support along the way to the point where when this situation plays out again, the person is more likely to stay at Duke. Yeah. There's no guarantee that your up-and-comer has the job that he wants, that he just was at for four years, open up after he's been at your school for two years. Yeah, I and mean, to go to the, real to quick, point, Connor, is you don't want it to come stale. It's like that's right. what happened with the Cuckoo era. Like, Cuckoo was really good for so long, but then became so stale and just so complacent that he was never going to leave. It just he wasn't, and so yeah, I'd rather shoot for the moon, get a guy two years, but like you said, elevation program eight nine, maybe a ten win season, and hey, we lost out on him because he got paid ton of money. But you know what? Incrementally, the buyout's going to be more and more because it's going to be more investing to the program, like you said. But yeah, continue with what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, like Duke is a better job than it was two years ago because of Mike Elko. Yeah, and Duke was in the position to hire Mike Elko because of David Cutcliffe. Like as stale as David Cutcliffe made it, like the job is not as appealing to a defensive coordinator at the, one of the biggest programs in the country to say yes, I want to be a first-time head coach at your school. If not for David Cutcliffe, you you can't have one without the other. And now you can't hire whoever you're going to hire without Mike Elko taking you to where you've been the last two years. So, yeah, I, I yeah, might go, be I might be torpedoing my own case for Kirk Signetti as a candidate, but but there's that side of it. Like I don't know that Nina King, like she didn't take questions when we talked to when she talked on Monday. I would have loved to get questions. But I understand like that. I don't know if any AD is really keen on doing the whole Q and A uh, when their coach just left twelve hours prior. Yeah, but um. But both sides have a positive and a negative. So, like, the positive yeah. security is, hey, he is 62, but if he 
him and who I think you're going to say next, I'll leave it open, but they're like early 60s. You're there for eight, 10 years. Like you really set, you you don't go anywhere, but you really set the program to a good level. But yeah. are your last three years, like Mac Brown, which I want to get to when we end at UNC, like is that stalemate? And then it's like, yeah, we should have cut that loose like two or three years ago. But, and then flip side, it's kind of like marriage. It's like, hey, married a smoke show of a wife. She's crazy as shit. And we're probably going to divorce in like five years. It's going to be a wild ride. We're going to have a lot of fun. Or you can marry some girl that's just like, she's very sweet and you settled down and you're married for 30 years, but it's just so stale. You're like, God, we're sleeping separate beds. So there's positives and negatives. Consistency and inconsist- inconsistency, but she's hot. So I think Duke needs to keep going with the inconsistency and she's hot. And you're dying laughing, but I know I'm right in my analogy. Because I would take that smoke show 10 out of 10 times. So we're really, really diving into the romantic metaphors on this one, uh, more than any other episode, I think. You're, yeah, I think I hope so. <laughs> so for number three, uh, who do you have for number three, Connor? Number three is not the one you're thinking of. Number three is Charles Huff at Marshall. He's a 40 year old coach. He's been a coach for three years and he's had Marshall Bell eligible every year. This year didn't go so well. They had a four, four and a start became four and five. And then they won two of their last three to get bowl eligible. Um, this comes with a little inside information. I I know Charles Huff wants the Duke job. So I know that it, that's somebody who is going to do everything in his power to put himself in position to get the job. I don't know if the interest is mutual. I just know on the Charles Huff side of things, that's a G5 coach looking to move up. He's been in and around the region all all of his career. Uh, he's 40 years old. He's had a 17-year career. He's been all like all the surrounding states. He's been in Virginia. He's been in Tennessee. He's been in West Virginia. I can't remember if he's been in South Carolina or not. Um, he's in Maryland back when Maryland was in the ACC uh, all those years ago. Um, yeah. Pour some out for the Terps. He has one year of NFL experience, uh, which is not never a prerequisite, but I always, when I put my AD hat on, I always think it's kind of cool to have a guy that's at least been on an NFL staff to understand how they approach things. Uh, I think that's about, I think that's more valuable than a lot of people realize. Um, Do you think he missed his window? Like, obviously he was a candidate for two years ago and Duke went in seven different direction, but. Obviously, last year they were nine and four, and they looked really good. Like nine and four, solid. This year they're six and six, and I think they're making some coordinator changes. So it's like I can see the vision because he's four, like he's forty, he's young, and he's around the area. But I know he was a candidate early on in twenty or two years ago, twenty twenty one. But I'm curious to know if I mean if he has a good agent, he can has a good sell job. Then I wouldn't be opposed to it because I mean he was the associate head coach of Alabama in twenty nineteen before taking the Marshall job. So. You know, he has connections, and if you're associate head coach at Alabama, you got good coaching connections where you can build a really good staff. Yeah, associate head like that's a made up staff. Like, I know it's I trust me, I know it's a I know it's a title, but it sounds really nice. It sounds like he knows <laughs> what he's doing. But yeah, yeah it's, it like, sounds great. Yeah, yeah. it sounds it sounds yeah. great. It's like director of operations. When I was in high school, I thought like Adobo was the high I thought it was the GM of a college program. I didn't know it was basically yeah. a corporate manager that got paid. So, yeah, you didn't know those guys are the ones that book all the hotels and the travel. Yeah, the worst, the worst gigs, the only gigs yeah. I could get into, and I was like, no shot. But <laughs> yes, it's uh, 
associate head coach, regardless, he was at Alabama, has good connections. But yeah, six and six this year for Marshall, three and five. And I mean, they had a wild game against NC State this year. One of Doran's wins was like what the 48-44 win or something against Marshall. So he might yep. have had some injuries too. But yeah, he's a good, he's a sneaky candidate. Look, man, I, I would I would keep an eye on Charles off. Uh, that's all I'll, that's kind of where I would leave it. Um, the next one is, no, the next one isn't the one. Um, I think the in-house candidate is Kevin Johns. Uh, I know you have some information that you may or may not want to share. I might've just put you on the spot with it, but. No, you're good. I, I'll say. I, I think Kevin Johns wants to be an offensive coordinator. I don't know if he has the desire to be ahead, like, I just, I don't know that. Um, I didn't get to know Kevin that well. Uh, I almost feel like I know Santucci a little better than Kevin Johnson. He's been here one fewer years, uh, or one fewer year, however you want to word that. <laughs> um, it's 935, so it's getting late. That's why we're having some brain farts here. I had an early morning, and I, it wasn't as early as it should have been. Um, <laughs> I think... I think if Kevin Johns wants to be a head coach, like that's the first part of this that you have to solve and answer is just, does he want to be a head coach or does he just want to be a coordinator who runs a offense that's explosive and efficient and runs a lot of motions and is a modified air raid uh, with a lot of ground presence. Like maybe that's all he wants to do in his career, which is fine. Like that's, that's the other offensive coordinator I cover at Wake Forest. Warren Ruggiero has no interest in being a head coach. It's completely fine. But if he does want to be a head coach, I think you interview him and I think you give it some serious thought because if you're looking to continue the type of stability that's been established for two years and the foundational uh, piece of this, then you have to stay on the staff. Like that That's kind of obvious, I would think. Um, so that's where I would go with, with him as a candidate. Yeah, and to go off that, yeah, I've gotten word that like Santucci is well-respected and the behind the scenes at Duke, and he's doing a very good job of he, he controls the room, basically. So what you say about Johns, he's quiet. You don't really know him that well. Santucci has a natural leadership to him, and I know people might think that it's like he, he doesn't have a lot of experience. Obviously, he came from A&M as like a co-DC, but was let go from A&M of that job. But – it's such a tricky situation for Duke that he's really handling it well. And from my understanding is he makes some really good, he's made some defensive calls out really well that Elko changed in certain situations and games. So I don't know. I know the most famous calls of fourth and 16. So people want to say it was the DC, maybe it was a HC. So we don't know. Maybe it was a head coach, maybe it was a defense coordinator. We don't know, but yeah, he is a name that is quiet. And it doesn't have any traction right now because it's still so early, but I could see it being one or the other. But John's makes the most sense to me because of the background he has. And since he is so quiet, I think he would benefit a role as a head coach. And it's just, hey, offensive coordinator, you do the thing. Defense coordinator, you do the thing. I'll just be the head. I'll just be the CEO, but I won't say anything. I'm just hands off and you do what you need to do. You do what you need to do. And and they both make sense in the fact that, look, Duke has a really good recruiting class coming in. And Duke is a team – Duke is a program that you can't afford to lose this type of recruiting class. That's another thing. Like, when Elko came in, I know I you – I'll let you speak about it. 
when Elko came in, that recruiting class yeah. was bottom of the barrel. I mean, it, in ACC standards, they were not. They were like 13th. I don't even know how many AC teams. 14 ACC teams? Yes. Yeah, we were like 13th. I think Boston College is below Duke. This year, they're middle of the pack. Tyler Cherry is the sixth-best quarterback. I have a really good receiver, really good safety, four stars. And I know the prospects, but my point being is when you have a prospect that's sixth best in the country via on three recruiting, you have to – that's your future. Riley leaves. You don't know what Grayson and Henry Bieland are going to do. That is your future to where the next head coach comes in. That's an attractive piece to have because besides Mac Brown, quarterbacks win you games. So I just I think you it makes it makes sense to try and maintain the roster as much as you can and the the core of what Elko had because if not then this all could blow up that we spoke about earlier. There's always going to be recruits, man. I know I know Connor you're, and you're, you're talking you're talking about that class 2 years ago like they suck. I mean no, I'm just you're right, you're right, but Terry, I'm saying Terry Moore was pretty good. Chandler Rivers panned out pretty well. Yes, correct, correct. You're right, you're right, you're right. But Tower Cherry is like could start, could get offered from everybody. Like, I think uh, at uh, your boy, he's Adam, probably getting offered by everybody right now. Right now, yeah. I was gonna say, your boy Adam from Rivals, I'm drawing a blank on your last, his last name, Friedman. Friedman, yeah. He came out saying that, like, team Tower Cherry is still up in the air, he might be leaving, he might not. Teams are recruiting him, I don't blame him for whatever, but. That's why the process, and I think Nina even touched on it, that it's going to be quicker than last year's 12 days that they hired Elko, that it's going to be sooner than that. She didn't say it was going to be quicker, which is kind of something that she just said it was going to move swiftly. And the way she worded it was like, we're going to move swiftly as we always have. And like, I think well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I, consider last time swift. Yeah, I think she, I will be shocked if Duke doesn't have a head coach by next Friday. I'll be shocked. Next Friday. Okay, that's so it's Monday. <laughs> Ten days. All right. Some something like that. I, I'll give them I would say maybe next Wednesday. Like I really think it's gonna be pretty damn fast. Cause it has to be because the portal's about to open the whole in like the portal situation, everything's gonna open. The portal is open now for Duke's players. Right, but I'm saying for like for Duke's everybody else, staff, the yeah, portal opens. Yeah, Duke's new staff needs to be assigned to where they can start reaching out to guys to fill in the roster for next year. So it has to, a, a main guy has to be set by like next Wednesday, and then you just slow you build your guys till then. But there's always my main my main thing is there's always going to be recruits, and you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Cherry would be a really nice addition for whoever the next coach is. Um, I don't want to make it sound like there's a Tyler Cherry in every class for Duke, but that's just the pivotal. That's just the p pivotal position, you know. Like that is like it is. Duke had three of them start games this year and win. Yeah, but they're Riley. Like we can't act like. Grayson and Riley Leonard are the same quarterback, Connor. We can't. We can't. Grayson has lost, has done a really good job, but there's a clear ceiling where he is, and there's a clear ceiling why Riley Leonard is getting reportedly offered high six figures and maybe seven figures to go somewhere else because he is legit and he can start anywhere in the country next year. 
See, I think Duke's best chance of keeping Riley Leonard becomes Kevin Johns staying in Durham. I would love that. That's but... what I, I think I wrote that somewhere. I think I wrote it in something that is going to be published uh, later on in, in the week. Uh, I might be up by the time we get the recording out. I would love that. But that but, also reminds me, we don't have your fifth guy because I almost went to the next thing. Is your fifth guy Willie Fritz? Oh, God, no. What? That's what I thought we were talking about. Why, why would – I mean he, – He makes a lot of sense, Connor O'Neill. Why? He, he knows the ACC well. Is that Georgia Tech background. He can win at a – he can win highly at a place that's tough to win at at Tulane. And – he could orchestrate a staff around him, and he's 62 to where this could be his retirement job because if he does do a very good job, you got seven to ten years and he retires, and then somebody else replaces him. But the guy can coach his ass off. I don't think it's going to be Willie Fritz. And the only reason he turned down Georgia Tech last year is because he's a man of honor and was like, I'm not going to talk to anybody before the conference championship game. So Georgia Tech said, all right, they looked elsewhere, and that they ended up hiring Key as from the interim to Maine and now they are back in the conference championship game and that's Sunday I think I think it's December 2nd maybe Saturday or Sunday December 2nd and that still fits Duke window to where it's like hey we'll talk immediately afterwards so my two all right we'll go to your fifth before I just blow this whole thing up Jim Jim Knowles oh I should have hung this we should have ended this before you said that. What are you bad about? He's not going to – he he fits your boy, uh, Wake Forest coordinator, says he just wants to be a coordinator. Jim Knowles, Cornell, no. do great. And now he's built his way up to be a D.C. to where I think he's just content being a D.C. to for a national championship contending team. I don't think he wants okay. to start over. Okay. That's I, fair. I think. But, God, if it is Jim Knowles, dude – I'm gonna have to delete some tweets from like <laughs> from like 20 from a long time ago. Oh boy, I'll get canceled. What was your problem with Jim Knowles? The defense just kept getting gashed, but then I was also like in high school and I was tweeting this stuff. And looking back, it probably wasn't even his fault. I was just being a moron on Twitter, like I normally am, but like as a teenager. Yeah, you were the teenage version of your dumbass? Yes, which I've made zero, like, progression. Every time I think I make a step in the right direction, I take the bait and I just lash out. No, but, I – look, I you know, there are reasons Jim Knowles might not work out. Might right. be a not sequitur. Might be a, hey, are you interested? No, okay, we move on. Um. I do think there would be a lot of value in getting a guy that has been at Duke for eight years before. I agree. Um, I think there is a ton of value in getting another defensive-minded coach. I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm swayed by Elko and seeing the way he approached it. It's not going to be the way every defensive-minded coach approaches it. But I tell you, I the the more. The more I replay his comments this year about spread spread offenses and the teams that score a shitload of points are not the teams that win championships. The teams that win championships are the ones that play good defense and run the ball. It's what George has done to win the last two. Yeah. With a with a former walk-on at quarterback. 
And their, uh, their offensive coordinator is Mike Bobo, who got fired from Auburn. So there that, you go. It's insane. So <laughs> that's that's why I would try to lean defense. Uh, I wouldn't go after the flashy offensive guys. Um, and so that's where I land on Jim Knowles. And, and he's that's the one that I was talking about when I was talking about Sandetti is he's yeah. 58. Yeah. Um, you get him for 10 to 12 years and he retires and, you know, 10 to 12 years is a, is a really good coaching tenure. Uh, probably the sweet spot, to be honest, like that's yeah. like, you don't overstay your welcome and fans still miss you when you leave. Yeah. But that would be Jim Knowles as head coach. Ted Roof comes back as defensive coordinator. Steve Spurrier, junior offensive coordinator. T- David Cluck, senior offensive analyst. I would just. Yeah, I don't think Cut's coming back. Oh, I know. I, that's I'm... the other. That's the other part of it that I. I kind of wish, like in hindsight, I wish I had been thinking to add this in the story. If Jim Knowles feels loyalty to David Cutcliffe, he's not coming. Like, yeah, uh, that's. That's also a, that's also a hey, are you interested? Uh, I know I don't like the way that you did the coach that I was there under for eight years. Thank you. Goodbye. Like, that's, that's a great point. The way that conversation goes. Two years two years is enough time to pass by, and Duke won immediately after him. So maybe it was like Cockcliffe like was sour at how it ended, but it was like I could see like it worked out in favor for Duke. But that is a great point where Jim Knowles could be a ride or die. And it's like, hey, like I just don't like how you did the guy that made Duke somewhat relevant again. Were you there for the NC State game? No. Or was that one of your one of your that weddings? Was one of my weddings. That was one of my weddings. Yeah, when the twenty thirteen team was honored in the end zone, did you see their former coach with them? No. I totally forgot they were doing that. No, he was not there. Yep, that's a that's a great point. That's so just yeah, just let the awkward situation. just let the awkward silence stand. Like it's it kind of yeah. tells you whether enough time has passed to heal that wound. I forgot all about that because I was at that wedding. But yeah, that's a so Jim knows you can mark him off. So that means Sean Lewis is not worse than either with offensive minded. You'd rather have a defensive minded guy than offensive minded. I just had to rub some salt in your wound that you missed so many games this year for weddings. Got to get fewer friends. I went to two games. I went to the Clemson game. Great. And then I went to Elko's last game ever against Pittsburgh. <laughs> so it just sums up this year. The swing of emotions there. Yeah. I was like, we're on, we are going to the moon. And then we're in the trenches in the mud and we went against Pittsburgh and the whole Mark Stoops fiasco happened. And now I'm in hell. I went from the yeah. moon to hell. But yeah, so Sean Lewis isn't a guy for you then? I honestly, I didn't think much of Sean Lewis. Um, I don't know how you go from. I I don't know what Sean Lewis's path is going to be from. Oh, he's where, getting a better job than Colorado. Well, he was so he's Kent State yeah. head coach, and he won at Kent State. Like he went to a couple of bowls at Kent State, and that's the worst program I'm pretty sure win loss wise in college football history. Like they just have the worst record as a history of a program impossible to win. And he went like six and six, seven and five, and maybe five and seven, which doesn't sound great, but his last year there, they put up the most points against Georgia that season. And if a Kent state offense can score like, yeah, can score in the twenties against Georgia, that's pretty damn impressive. And then 
at Colorado, he averaged 32 points per game on the offensive side with no offensive line. And Deion Sanders thinking he knows everything about football. And Deion Sanders like, hey, let me get my best friend, Pat who's one of the worst head coaches in NFL history to run my offense while you get demoted. And so Sean Lewis will be, I don't know, to go off your point, I don't know where he projects now, but I don't think it's a – he's definitely out of Colorado because if you follow recruiting like I do, they lost their quarterback of 2025 and quarterback of 2024 in back-to-back days. And then just before we started recording, lost their four-star running back of 2024 today. So something's happening on the offense side of the ball on that roster. He's gone. Don't know where it's going to be, but – That'd be a good name for Duke. Like, he would be exciting. He would be exciting. I know you said, like, offensive guy doesn't win you championships, but who knows who could hire a defense to where, you know, I'd give it a shot. I'd give it a shot. I'm not going to be stingy. I'd I'd think about it. (laughs) You're really worked up about Steve Spurrier Jr. Because I was just like, I think he was like the special teams coordinator at at a Mississippi State, and they're like, or QB coach or something. Like, yeah, he'd be good at Duke. His dad did wonders. Like, yeah, his dad. Like, yeah, just fucking pisses me off. <laughs> but speaking of overrated coaches, let's finish with this, Connor. I have a question for you. Right now, would you rather be in Duke's shoes or UNC shoes right now? Because oh, I haven't want I haven't wanted to be in UNC shoes in like three years. Yeah. They have no exit strategy. Can we – this needs to be addressed, and I, this needs to be addressed that as much as Mac is back or whatever, he's a great first-half coach in every season he seems like he's been in. But when you get the governor to get your wide receiver to be cleared by the NCAA when you're undefeated and then you have four losses with them because you can't adjust to the back end of your schedule with the number one overall pick as your quarterback – you're the problem. And he is too far in his own way to where it's like UNC fans are going to look back at this, of Drake May's NFL career, and even Sam Howell. I mean, Sam Howell's arguably one of the best QBs in the commander's history or the last 20 years for the commanders. Calm down. You're uh, letting last your years, fandom come out. 20 years. 20 years. Think about that. That's not too crazy to think about. Jacob is going to come through the door now and – Jacob's the one that put it in my ear. He was like, Sam Howell's one of the better quarterbacks we've had since I've been alive. And I was like, that might be true. Jacob's a little emotional. He That's true. But point being, Sam Howell was really good at UNC. Like, he was fantastic at UNC and then followed up by Drake May. And you, there's just – you're not there. You're like, you're not you, – NC State had a better season than you again this year when it looked like you guys were going to be the face of the dark horse for the college ball playoff in the ACC, and then the wheels completely fall off. You go unranked. Like, they went from 10th in the country to unranked. So my question to you is, what you answer, but why would you rather be Duke than UNC? Like a again, they, UNC has no exit. They have no coaching waiting. I know that term kind of went out the window like 15 years ago, and the NCAA said you couldn't do that anymore because it was like keeping coaches from interviewing for other spots. I'm ripping off some old wounds of very, very long ago, Maryland fandom when James Franklin was Maryland's coach of waiting behind Ralph Regan and Debbie Yao uh, axed that plan. Um, yeah, it's kind of where my Maryland football fandom died. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Deborah. Gibsonville's own. Yep. But, um, 
no, like there, there's no succession plan. I go back to uh, not to not to make this comparison uh, lightly, but the succession plan for Duke basketball worked because it was thought out and it was planned and it was executed, and it went from John Shire having a full year to recruit players to commit to him. He's a good recruiter, so he got them to commit, and they're all really good freaking players, obviously. But there was a clear plan in place, and the plan was executed. And the plan, obviously, was the right plan for Duke, unless the wheels completely fall off in the next, like, year and a half under John Shire. Seems like that plan worked out pretty well, right? There's nothing like that at Carolina. They don't have the next coach on their staff. I mean, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Like, you're not. I, would, I mean, Gene Chizik. I would, need to, ask, I would need to ask somebody who covers them whether they actually have the next coach on their staff. But as far as I know, like, the job's not going to Gene Chizik. He's probably not going to have a job in like three weeks if they're smart. No. And the offensive coordinator is his first year. Yeah. yeah. It, like, are you calling up Phil Longo for what he did for you for three or four years? Because like, I was told he was the problem. I t- Phil Longo is like Drake May's all like it doesn't benefit Drake May on offense with Phil Longo's scheme. So right. so it's like, yeah, you're exactly right. It's also weird that like college football seems it's way more complicated to hire guys. Like college basketball, John Sire basically head coach in waiting, Hubert Davis head coach in waiting at the Blue Bloods, and then Duke football search firm again. And then you have all these search firms. So it's kind of weird and how complicated that thing is. Yeah, the search firm is – I agree with uh, Adam Gold of 99.9 and Raleigh. Uh, that's the biggest scam going in college athletics. You really it's, – it's not like the search firm is told by Duke, hey, we need to hire a football coach. Can you go find us a football coach? It's not that shit simple. What the search firm does is they contact coaches that are employed without – you know, they, they work the back channels for you. That's all search firms are. It's and it's all a bunch of bullshit. You just call those people yourself. Um, but I, I I digress. Uh, look, Duke. It's not an advantageous position to lose your coach who's been there for two years. That's not a position anybody wants to be in. But you're at least set up to if if there was something Nina change Nina King wanted to change and didn't feel like she could under Mike Elko now she's got a chance to change it like if if there are some reworkings to for Duke to go through this is the chance to do them um I don't know how much needs to be reworked obviously things were trending in the right direction uh but Duke gets a chance to, again, set its future. And when I think of what Carolina looks like, they don't have that chance. The boosters hired Mac. The boosters are evidently, like, I, I don't know that they're unhappy with Mac. I don't think we've seen anything like that. Uh, your, your boosters have kind of grasp of your program. Yeah. That's not where any AD wants to be. Well, that goes into to round this all out. Like after talking about the candidates and now Mac Brown basically being old and stuff. I think that 
Duke will look for a young guy. Uh, Just a gut feeling for me, I think Duke's really going to lean into the Duke brand of having a young college basketball coach in Shire and a young football coach, whoever that's going to be. Like, I think that's young women's young women's coach too. Yeah. So it's hard for me to see them get a guy that's in their sixties, like uh, Signetti or Will Fritz. And obviously this is just me speculating. I could just see as an image, Duke wants to go young with the whole NIL thing and really attack it from that, just that aspect of things. But how old is Jason Garrett? <laughs> oh, way please, too old. Please tell me. Please tell me he's like fifty-seven at least. Oh yeah, Jason Garrett is. Uh, he's north of fifty. He's got to be. All he's right, good. North of fifty. So even I think it's going to be early forties. I think Charles Huff might be the cutoff in the age. Like I really think it's going to be like mid thirties to forty-two, whoever that would be. But mid mid thirties is kind of wild. Yeah, it is. But I mean, that's. Well, how, John's John's might be like forty five. I don't know how John's is, John's is forty seven. He's a year older than Elko. Okay, forty seven. Fine, I'll say that. As long as you look below fifty, somebody's name got thrown at me today. Who was thirty one? I can't remember who it was. Let me ask. Yeah, I'll look into that. But yeah, it's gonna be a young guy. That's my gut feeling. But Connor, brother, I appreciate it. I had I told Connor before the show. Like, yeah, we'll go like fifteen minutes. Hopefully, fifteen minutes at least. Thirty minutes like at tops and I think we're over like an hour or so that was bullshit when you said it. it is a coaching change yeah it is a coaching change but <laughs> not well, like we're talking not like we're talking about a 38 point win over UConn that great point but hopefully uh, the next time we will record will be Duke will have a head coach unless something crazy happens that we need to have a podcast episode but hopefully the next time I talk to you Duke will be having a new head football coach so Connor I appreciate you as always, but especially tonight and talking about Duke football's head coach. Thanks, Jordan.